Good morning, wherever you are. For today's Book Collector podcast, we have chosen a piece involving four quite remarkable men. The author of the book, Nicholas Barker, was for 50 years editor of this journal while occupying various important positions. Its reviewer, Robert Burley, known sometimes as Red Robert on account of his slightly leftish views, was headmaster of Eton College between 1949 and 1963. A tall, stooping, kindly man, he was once merciful to the reader of this piece when he need not have been. The book in question is Bibliotheca Lindesiana, The Lives and Collections of Alexander William, 25th Earl of Crawford and 8th Earl of Balcaris, and James Ludovic. 26th Earl of Crawford and 9th Earl of Balcaris. It was printed for presentation to members of the Roxburgh Club and published in London in 1977 by Bernard Quaritch at £25. There is no getting away from it, and it has to be said at once. This book is unique. It is an account, given in the greatest detail, of the building up during the 19th century of an immense family library, with an introductory chapter on the family as book collectors in early days, and an epilogue which tells of the dispersal of the library during this century. That, one might think, would be of interest to bibliophiles, but without a great attraction to others. But the book is much more than that. The creation of the library is seen as part of the history of the family, One feels oneself not only walking about the rooms with the books, but over the whole house, or houses, for more than one is involved. As one walks about the house, one meets and gets to know members of the family. At one moment, one is concerned with the billiards table. At the next, one is reading an astonishing letter written by Ludovic, the 26th Earl of Crawford, to a member of the government in 1906. It is a question of a real navigation or flying power. I have little doubt that in the near future modern science will solve the question so long set before it, and I confess I view such a solution with the gravest apprehension, unless absolute control be retained and enforced by H.M. government. If one considers the free use of the air in unscrupulous hands, the power of evil is appalling not only to individuals but to the state. A few gallons of a strong solution of phosphorus in carbon bisulfite could set London ablaze at a hundred different points. But this is not an interesting irrelevance, for among the most remarkable books in the library were works of science. Although a group of unique French pamphlets on unusual meteorological phenomena in France, 1579-80, to were relatively dear, 30 shillings to 5 guineas, and Chave, Chronographia cost £9.15 shillings. Flamsteed's Historia Silestis 1712 was only five shillings. And in buying all the major Descartes items Ludovic secured, as well as Geometria 1659, £3.07, and Discours sur l'influence des astres 1671, 19 shillings. The Discours de la méthode 1637 for only 19 shillings. It is absolutely typical of the book and of the library that the text continues immediately after the November sale. He bought another romance, Mille et Amis, 1495, 
for £112. The same paragraph recalls the acquisition of 15 more incunabula. It is impossible in a short space to do justice to the immense amount of information in the book. To take at random three pages near the middle of the book, pages 222 to 224, we read of the acquisition, among other books, of, and I quote, all the modern writers on the Aboriginal inhabitants and the early Norse discoverers of America, Marco Polo, Della Maraviglia del Mondo, 1496, the Cortes Letters in the first Latin edition, Zazara della Nobilta d'Italia, 1615-28, Paproxy's Bohemian Works, Okolski's Orbis Polonus, 1641, and Nizeki Corona Polska, Japanese books, quote, in which he saw the first seeds of heraldry. Robert Halstead's succinct genealogies of the noble and ancient houses of Alno, 1685, the six volumes on the antiquities of Russia presented by the Tsar to von Klenzer, and the great Speculum Maius of Vincent of Beauvais, the sum of all medieval knowledge, printed at Strasbourg between 1473 and 1476 in a series of great folios. And at the end of the third page comes a passage from the report on the library drawn up by the 25th Earl of Crawford for his son and finished by the latter, which includes these words, which help one to understand how this amazing library was built up. I have never, let me repeat whatever you may think, lost sight of the principle of utility on which I commenced originally. But my view of utility has been a broader and more generous one than that of the mere utilitarian. It is this broader view that has influenced me in admitting such forgotten and unwieldy volumes as the Speculum of Vincent de Beauvais for the reasons enumerated a page or two back. And on this principle, too, I have eagerly welcomed the Mazarin Bible and the Catholicon and a few others as monuments of the invention of printing. Homo sum nil humane arme alienum puto has been my maxim as a collector. To a friend, when a young man of 22, he had written, My object in collecting is utility. I wish to have the best editions of the best works in all departments of literature, British and foreign. I don't search after ediciones principes, black letters and rarities, though if they fall in my way accidentally I pick them up as windfalls. But strictly speaking, I am no bibliomaniac. The way in which that principle, homo sum, nil humani arme alienum puto, came to influence his choice of books for his library is a remarkable story. This reviewer, as he read the book, began to find forming in his mind a very strange comparison. He had read books before about libraries, built up by institutions or by individuals. This one was something quite different. It was not only that it was very large, it was so comprehensive. And he began to think of the very many medieval pictures of the Tower of Babel, consisting of no more than one, or at the most two, towers, and going up about four stories. The delightful miniature in Elfric's metrical paraphrase of the Pentateuch in Cotton M.S., Claudius B. 4 will serve as an example. But what was appearing before him now was something quite different. It was the immense round tower with parapets and scores of entrance doors and men working everywhere, rising ahead through the clouds. 
This was the Tower of Babel, seen by Peter Bruegel the Elder and to be found in the painting of the Kunsthorische Museum in Vienna. The comparison is not an unreasonable one, for this book is a work of art which keeps control over an extremely complicated and a huge story. We must not forget the family. They were the builders of the library all the time, creating the foundation of a very happy family life and also deeply interested in the development of the library. Have any books had a more rapturous reception into a library than this one, taken from a letter written by Lindsay, the younger of the two earls, to his wife in 1872? Minnie, Minnie, Minnie! I have got a haul. You don't know what a valuable fish. Oh, Samaritan manuscripts. They're rarer than black swans. In fact, it is obvious that this is something more than an account of a great library. The development of the Industrial Revolution, especially in Lancashire, made it possible. And it is in the background all the time, as are the effects of the decline towards the end of the century. The price of books will be a constant shock to any reader in the 1970s. 180 to 200 pounds being suggested, for instance, as a reasonable price for the 42-line Bible, or, for that matter, £4.10 shillings being given by Bernard Quaritch as the price of his return ticket to Paris in 1860. Bernard Quaritch, it should be added, plays an important part in the book. Let us face it, this is much more than a book about a great library. Quite clearly, no one is going to be able to write about books and libraries in England in the 19th century without consulting this one. But one must go further. No one is going to be able to deal adequately with the social history of this country during that period without using it. For the Earls of Crawford certainly succeeded in keeping themselves from being, as the Elder was to say, lost in the bibliomaniacal rut. There can be few other books, if any, which give me such a picture of the intellectual foundations of the 19th century in England, including science. In the preface to the book, we are told of the fact about its composition, which is absolutely staggering. There is no other word that will do. It was in November 1971 that the 28th Earl of Crawford asked Mr. Nicholas Barker to write this history of the library as his book to present to the members of the Roxburgh Club. Mr. Barker got down to reading the material necessary for his task, including chests full of family letters. And then Lord Crawford fell seriously ill, and Mr. Barker realised that he must hasten. The book is of 377 large pages. As has already been made clear, it is full of detailed information, and it should be added that the many extracts from letters and papers have meticulous references. Mr. Barker started to write the book on the 8th of September 1975 and finished it on the 24th of November. There cannot be a single reader who on reading this will not think at once of a very well-known book in which such feats are recorded. Anyone interested in books who reads this history is certain every now and then to come across a reference to some book of which he is very fond or in which he has a particular interest, and he will at once be excited Perhaps this reviewer might give two examples showing how he was affected in this way. He happens to have been a successor of Dr. E.C. Hawtrey, who was headmaster of Eton from 1834 to 1853. He has a quite irrelevant interest in the Wends, now usually called the Sorbs, a detached Slav people who live in the German Democratic Republic. 
Imagine how delighted he was to read that the copy of the first Wendish Bible of 1584 in the Bibliotheca Lindesiana came through porridge from the library of Dr. Hawtrey. And then there is an extract from a letter written by Lindsay Crawford in 1827 when he was 15 years old and a boy at Eton. I have been lately up into the college library and saw the Editio Princeps of Homer printed about 1488 and a curious polyglot Bible of 1514 in six volumes and a very old manuscript of Ovid, 600 years old, as the man says. The underlining of the last four words no doubt indicates a certain scepticism about the claim. He did not have worried. This must have been the remarkable manuscript in Beneventan script in the library, which includes the earliest surviving text of Ovid's Heroides. When young Lindsay saw it, it was at least 800 years old. Let us make no mistake about it. This is not only a work based on a tremendous amount of research and dependent on real bibliographical scholarship. It is a book to be enjoyed. That was a review by Robert Burley of Nicholas Barker's Bibliotheca Lindisiana. Visit thebookcollector.co.uk to read online articles, view booksellers' catalogues and subscribe to our journal. It's less than the price of a Netflix subscription and far more valuable. Receive four beautiful quarterly issues, plus get access to our entire digital archive. 70 years of erudite articles, illustrations, reviews, news, obituaries, auction reports and more. Everything you could want to know about book collecting. Whether you're researching, learning or just browsing for fun, it's the place to go. Visit thebookcollector.co.uk today.